for listening to the podcast of Sojourn Church Carlisle. Our church seeks to embody three values, maturity, multi-ethnicity, and missionality as we live on mission in South Louisville and beyond. In this series, we will take a deeper look at our value of multi-ethnicity, seeking to further understand how God has called us to reveal and exemplify the gospel while celebrating his multifaceted kingdom. Good morning. My name is James Fields. I serve here as the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church Carlisle. It is indeed a pleasure uh, to see so many people out with us this morning, worshiping our God and Savior, um, giving him all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Would you please stand with me? We're going to read a uh, passage of scripture this morning from the book of James, James chapter 2. We're going to look at multiple chap- uh, passages this morning, but we're going to start off in James. We're going to go to Genesis 1, and then we're going to end in Revelation 7. So it's going to be a journey this morning, but uh, feel free to use your, of course, your paper Bible. We want you to have your Bibles with you as you are able. And uh, if you have a smartphone, you want to use it, I guess you can cheat today, but that's okay. Try to bring your uh, paper Bibles if you can. So hear the word of the Lord from James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. It says these words. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? For brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. Yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is it? Even so... Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working, faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you. We ask as always that you will be with us this morning. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Pray, Father, that your word will go forth and not come back void. Let some soul be saved and let some mind be transformed for the advancement of your kingdom. As always, God, I ask that you take my little and make much of it to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes in life, we just need a hug. No words, no advice, just a hug to make you feel better. 
These are the words that was actually posted by someone within our congregation here this morning. It's a member of our church who was putting out a Facebook post that caught my attention. And I love what it said. Did you hear what it said? It said, sometimes in life, we just need a hug. (laughs) No words, no advice, just a hug to make you feel better. See, one of the greatest controversies in scriptures has been this dialogue between faith versus works. Romans 3.24, Paul says, we are justified freely by his grace. But in James 2.17, James says, so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, the controversy lies here. Are we saved through our faith? Or are we saved apart from it? I love what Tim Keller says in his great book, Generous Justice. He says this about this question. He says, while a sinner can get into a relationship with God by only faith, the ultimate proof that you, are, you have saving faith is the changed life that true faith inevitably produces. To bring Paul and James teaching together, we can say we are saved by faith alone but not by a faith that remains alone. True faith will always produce a changed life. Maturity, multi-ethnicity, missionality, these are the core values that we have as a church. And if you are joining us for the first time, we're currently going through a vision series that is focused on the core value of multi-ethnicity. And in regards to our value of multi-ethnicity, this is how we define it. We define it this way. We desire to reveal and exemplify the gospel while celebrating God's multi-faceted kingdom. I'm going to say that one more time for our hearing. We desire to reveal and exemplify the gospel while celebrating God's multi-faceted kingdom. Last week, Pastor Nick did a great job of explaining our desire to reveal the gospel. He talked about what is the gospel, and he defined the gospel as being the good news that we enter God's kingdom through God's cross and by God's grace. He also talked about how the gospel has been veiled, how through the Old Testament it's always been God's desire to bring a multi-ethnic people together But that wasn't fully seen until the person of Christ arrived on earth and gave his life so that that dream might become a reality. And he also talked about the truncated gospel, which I actually love and I'm going to borrow from this morning. You see, today we're going to focus and further discuss and explain our desire to exemplify the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to exemplify the gospel. Well, before I tell you what it means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. To exemplify the gospel does not mean that we just go and preach the gospel. Go and preach the gospel has a mentality of just doing good in a broken world. The world is broken, and the only solution to the brokenness is salvation. And part of that is true. Hear me clearly. Part of that is true, but in its entirety by itself, It is a truncated gospel. Another aspect that we're not talking about when we say exemplify the gospel is go live the gospel. This has the mentality of not just doing good in a broken world, 
It has the mentality of be good in a broken world. That regardless of the brokenness around you, you just do you. You keep living for God and the world will catch up at some point. That's also a truncated gospel. Let me tell you what it means to exemplify the gospel. To exemplify the gospel means that we embody God, not good in a broken world. We are called to embody God, not the characteristics of God, but embody him through the spirit that he provides, through the Holy Spirit, to be a witness and to be an ambassador within a broken world. So you might be saying this morning, okay, Reverend Fields, thank you for saying that, but how do we exemplify the gospel? You still haven't told me. Well, here it is. If you're taking notes, here are my three main points. Please write them down so you can meditate on it this week, during the week. We go knowing three things. One, we go knowing God's design. God's design means that our embodiment is from God. Number two, we go knowing God's desire that our embodiment is for the nations. And number three, we go knowing God's dream, that our embodiment matters throughout eternity. God's design, God's desire, and God's dream. Let's look at God's design with me, if you don't mind. Remember, in regards to God's design, The main thesis here is that our embodiment is from God. We see that from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. From the very beginning, we see God's purpose and God's design and his created identity. The created identity, another way of saying that is the Imago Dei. And it's always been God's plan. It's always been God's purpose to use his image bearers as the privileged instruments for the advancement of his kingdom. It's always been a part of God's plan and good design to use human beings who are created in his image, who are created in his likeness, to go and be embodied beings within his created world. And as embodied beings, we had two things that we were to be responsible for. One, we were to know that we were the crown of creation, that we were the only creation that was made in the image and likeness of God. And it's not just that we were infused with that image and likeness, but we were infused with that image and likeness, having a a specific body and also having a specific gender. In my research, I was overwhelmed and and really astonished to find out that out of the 20,000 genes that we have in our bodies, 6,500 of those genes are gendered. 6,500, over a fourth of our genes within our body are 
are coded within our body and are made within our body in order to give us gender-specific ideas, personality, and characteristics. Not only are we supposed to be the crown of creation, we are also to, we are also to serve as a catalyst for cultivation. We are to rule over God's good creation. So you see in Genesis 1, where God is created in the image, we are created in the image and likeness of God. We are infused with the Imago Dei. We are given life. God takes the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into man as, a, as he formed him. And God's life, God's breath, excuse me, gave us life. But not only does God's breath gives us life, see in Genesis 4, even after the fall, See that God's, God's life also leads to purpose. In Genesis 4, we see not just the aspect of life, but we also see the aspect of vocation. We see different types of vocations and different type of jobs and responsibilities starting to come up and to arise out of the Imago Dei. You see, the problem of sin and the problem that sin has caused in regards to the Imago Dei is that it's caused us to live as functional as, fun- as functional Gnostics. And as functional Gnostics, Gnosticism was a her- heretical movement in the first and second century that pretty much talked and said that the body is evil and we should shun it, that faith is subservient to knowledge. And if you wanted to true, have true knowledge of God, you couldn't find it by yourself. You had to have a special knowledge to know God. Yeah, we live as functional Gnostics within this age. And as functional Gnostics, we say this. We say that the body is evil. And that's where that mantra of just go preach the gospel says, just to be good in the broken world. Go out and just be good. Be an example. It's a truncated gospel. And the reason why it's truncated is because it helps us to see or makes us to believe to, to see that the truth is only rigid. That truth is only objective. That truth only comes in one size. It's a square that can be only used and only seen from one perspective. And if you don't believe me that we don't struggle with this, even within our Christian churches, answer me this question. Can you only receive truth from your tribe? Can you only receive truth from your favorite preacher, from your favorite author, or from your favorite mentor. You see, throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus often used everyday examples. He used every person, everyday circumstances to teach about the truth of God and his kingdom. He used birds in the air to teach us how not to worry. He, surrounded by highly influential people in his day, he used little children to show us how to be humble. Surrounded by men and women who were putting in large sums of money into the temple treasury, he fixated his eyes on a widow who, and her impoverished condition to provide the best example of what sacrificial giving looks like. Love what Tim Keller says in his book, Center Church. He says this, there is, an irredis- there is an irreducible complexity to the gospel. I do not mean that the gospel can't be presented simply and even 
Very briefly, the gospel is a clear and present word, but it's not a simplistic word. I want to resist the impulse mainly among conservative evangelicals towards creating a single one-size-fits-all gospel presentation that that should be used everywhere that serves as a test of orthodoxy. See, God hasn't just called us to go preach the gospel. He also hasn't just called us to go, go live the gospel. So if just preach the gospel says, be good, live the gospel says, just do good. <laughs> this also comes from my aspect of Gnosticism, where truth has no boundaries. And our imagination is seen as being king. And here's the problem with seeing our imagination as being king is that our imagination is without, when our imagination is without limits and without limitations, it can never satisfy the human soul because it never was created to do that. I, I equate this to looking at commercials, specifically the commercial that I think of the most is Burger King, where I love Whoppers and that's my Achilles heel. Uh, don't get me a Whopper because I will eat it. Um, if you want to get it for me, don't get it without onions, please. But looking at a Burger King commercial, and you see on that commercial this big, huge, wonderful burger. And every time I see that thing, I want to go, I want to go to Burger King. It looks amazing. It's about, it looks like it's about three feet tall. It's stuffed with meat and cheese and lettuce and all the good fixings, right? But here's the reality. When I go to Burger King and I order my, my uh, Whopper, you think it looks like what was on the commercial? <laughs> you think it looks like that wonderful thing that enticed me and got me to get out of my bed at 12 o'clock at night, they'll get a Whopper? It doesn't look like that, does it? It's not three feet tall. It's probably one inch tall. And depending on the mood of the server that day, I may not get all my fixings. I might not, they may leave out my tomato. I may may ask for no onions and they give me onions. Our imagination is not king. And when we live like our imagination is king, it is like a cloud without rain. It It doesn't serve us at all like a marriage without love. It forsakes us and it creates despair in us like a house that we never make into a home. It is like what James 2.26 says, that it's like having a body without a soul. But we are called to something. If we're not called just to, if we're not called just to Um, preach the gospel, if we're not just called to live the gospel, what are we called to, Pastor Fields? Well, we're called to be image bearers of God. We are called to embody the gospel. And we see that from Genesis 1, that our embodiment is from God, that we are made in the likeness and the image of God. And therefore, we have intrinsic value before God as our creator. And not only us, every single human being Every single person you see driving by, even right now, every person under the sound of my voice has intrinsic value before God as his or her creator. 
And it's our job as a church to fight for that reality, even when people cannot fight for that reality themselves. We need to affirm one another's created identities. And you've heard me say this many times, unity, not uniformity. That's what we're aiming for. That's our goal. I'm not asking you to look like me and dress like me and be like me and read like me. I'm asking you to understand me as a black man who's a pastor of this church, trying by the power of the spirit to lead us in in the way that God has called me to lead us. But ultimately, we're following Jesus and we're following his example. But I do say, imitate me as I follow him. You know, one, I'm going to let you guys into a little secret if you didn't know this. I love being black. You can laugh at that. That's okay. (laughs) One of the things I love about being a black man is that oftentimes when you're in a place, especially in a place where you are not familiar with and you see another black man, especially, you give each other this little, this little signal. It's called a head nod. So, you, you know, a brother's walk. I wish Kevin could come up. Kevin, you want to do it for me? No. Okay. He's going to sit down and do it for me, but Come on, Kev, just do it. You know, yeah, there you go. There you go. That's how you do it, right? That's how you do it. Give yourself a little nod. Like, hey, what's up, man? But, but listen, that, that nod is so important. And it's important to me because what it says to another brother who I don't know, who I may, may have never met, is I see you. I see you. You're, you're, not, you're not forgotten. You're not displaced. You're not just walking through this world. I see you as another black man within this world and within this, even when other people don't see you. And even when other people may not acknowledge you, and even when other people may not acknowledge your presence, I see you, and the head nod is a representation of that. I, by the grace of God, I pray that we as a church will be able to acknowledge everybody's dignity and worth within this world. I pray that the head nod that I experienced with my black brothers and sisters across this, brother, excuse me, across this nation, will be felt by every single person that, that comes within the vicinity of our church. And I say that knowing the reality that we live in, that death is real. Five-year-old Connor in North Carolina He died this week by a neighbor, a black man who killed him, a little white boy in his driveway. Right down the street, a three-year-old, Trinity, shot, killed in our neighborhood, in our vicinity. Less than five miles from here, Breonna Taylor murdered in her own home. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery. We care because they are made in the likeness and image of God. And I don't care if it's a black man or a little white boy in North Carolina. I will weep with those who weep. And so will you. Because we care about people being made in the image and likeness of their creator. We're not playing favorites here. We're not saying, oh, we're going to pray for little Connor who got shot, but we're going to deny Trinity who died three blocks away from our church. We're not playing favorites here. What we're doing is we're acknowledging that regardless of who dies, we will weep. And we will acknowledge their intrinsic value. 
and we will acknowledge their life as being meaningful and purposeful and having dignity and worth because God has decreed it so. Amen? See, church, we have an awesome opportunity. Even next week, Friday, next week Sunday, we're going to start a virtual uh, book study on Jamar's Tisby book, The Color of Compromise. And right now, I think I only have about five people sh- signed up. And I hope after saying this, I will have 50 people signed up or more because this is important for us. And I hear me. I, I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm not saying that racism is under every single rock in this world. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that racism is under some of them. I invite you as a church to join us in our study of understanding what it has meant for the African-American church to endure countless plights of racism within this country, within this very region, and maybe even within this very church. Come learn with me and grow with me so that we don't make the same mistakes as we move forward. We want to affirm God's good design of his creation, that our embodiment is from God. And guess what, church? I've seen this and I've witnessed this in our own church. I don't want to go forward without, without, without acknowledging this. I've seen it. I've seen us sing songs in languages that we just don't understand. We just did it just a minute ago. I see you inviting neighbors into your house in order to make them and to develop friendships with them. I see you. I see you, church, serving food to the Iroquois varsity basketball team and setting up banquets for them as an end-of-the-year celebration. I see you. I see you knocking on doors and praying, walking in our local community seeking to build authentic relationships that is focused on Christ and trying to turn strangers into neighbors. I see you. I see you younger members taking out older members for their birthdays. I see families come alongside widows to love and appreciate them on their birthdays and also on their wedding anniversaries. I've seen our older members write cards to children whom they miss from seeing on church on Sunday. I've seen families with no children serving families with many children during this pandemic. And I've seen married men come come along one side of one another, excuse me, coming along aside newly married men to disciple them on what it means to be a new husband and an aspiring father. I see you, church. Be encouraged. I love what Dr. King says. In this, in this quote, he says, the gospel at its best deals with the whole man, not only his soul, but his body, not only his spiritual well-being, but his material well-being. Any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of men and not concerned with the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a spiritually morbid religion awaiting burial. So not only do we see God's design, but we also see his desire. His desire is simple. If, if God's design is that, uh, if, if God's design 
is that his embodiment, our embodiment is from God, then his desire is simply this, his desire is for the nations. And we've seen this from the very beginning. We've seen it time and time again. I love what Durham Gray says about this. He says the gospel is about God, God's being faithful in Jesus to Abraham to colonize the earth with his multi-ethnic Jew, a Jew-Gentile family, and this multi-ethnic family will be a living temple, God's dwelling place on earth. So the question is, how does this happen? How, how is God building his multi-ethnic family? How is he pursuing the nations? Listen with me to, in Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. Listen to the words of Christ through Paul. It says, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. As Pastor Nick so wonderfully taught us last week, in Christ we are declared sons and daughters of God. And Paul is saying, what Paul says is not about whether you're black or white, Asian or Latino. It's about being, it's about being in Christ. Now, let me be clear. It doesn't mean that once you become a Christian, your ethnicity is checked at the door. Doesn't mean that. Our unity comes through Christ. In our recreated identity, in our recreated identity, we want to continue to find our identity in Christ while also embracing the beauty of how God has created us. One of my favorite shows um, right now on Netflix is uh, Car Masters. Anybody watch that show, Car Masters? Nobody? Drew, Drew, can you watch it with me and tell me if you like it? Is that good? Thanks, Drew. All right. We'll talk about it next week. Car Masters, Rust to Riches. It's a great show. I like it. I like, uh, I can't do anything with cars. I'm not a handy person, but I like watching other men and women be handy and fixing things. And, and pretty much what it is, is our recreated identity is, is much like the show Car, uh, car Masters or Rust to Riches. It's like, it's like us going to an auction and purchasing an old car, right? I've never done this, but this is one of my dreams. I would love to go get an old car and fix it up. Actually, I would love specifically to go get a deuce and a quarter. Anybody know what a deuce and a quarter is? No? Deuce and a quarter? Thank you. Thank you. I got one person. Thank you. Thank you. My dad used to drive a deuce and a quarter back in the day. I'd love to get a deuce and a quarter and, 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 and get it and fix it up and make it look nice. I know I can't do that, so, but that's a dream. Our recreated identity, if our created identity is in the Imago Dei, in the image and likeness of God, our recreated identity is much like going to an auction um, and getting a car, an old fixated car, and, and fixing it up to replenish it. When, and your goal when you go get that car is not to get that car in its current state and build something totally new or totally different. Your goal in getting that car is to take that car and find the specific parts, the specific um, things that you need to updo, to refurbish and to reinvent that car in the way it originally intended or was supposed to be. The goal is not to replace, but to renew. It's not to fix. It's not only to fix, excuse me, it is to fix and not to deface. It is to restore and not to destroy. And we see this specifically within the person of Jesus. 
Remember what the Bible says about Jesus in Philippians 2? Paul writes these words, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again, that reconciliation can only happen between two equal parties. And we see this in this example of Jesus. If God did not send Jesus to become like us, then we can never become like him. There had to be an equal setting where Jesus had come down to earth. He inhabited. He was God in flesh. He was a man who lived on this earth. Did it for the, for the salvation of humanity. But the opposite is also true. If we don't accept and believe in God's son, Jesus, then we can never reach God. God came down to us so that we might be able to reconnect and be reestablished with him. Notice the framework of Jesus coming down to us. He left his place of privilege, his his place of, of endearment. He left the throne room of heaven. He then took on a new position. He took on the flesh of humanity. And then finally, he embraced the penalty of death, even death on the cross. These are good reminders for us that our embodiment is for service to God and also to others. I want to talk to specifically my moms who are home. My moms who are home, you've been homeschooling since March, middle of March, since this COVID thing hit. And it's been tough and it's been rough. My single dads, if you are a single dad and you are having your children at home and you're trying to rear them during this this time. It's very tough. And guess what? It can get quite ugly. (laughs) But let me let you know a little secret. Let me let you know something. That your embodiment, that your involvement with your children matters. And every service, every kind gesture, every bologna sandwich, every peanut butter and jelly, every tucking your kids in and, and kissing them in the night to sleep when you really don't feel like doing it, All of your sacrifice, all of your trouble, all of your struggles mean something. They are experiencing God's grace through you. They're experiencing God's love through you. They're experiencing everything everything that God wants them to experience through you. And even those things that you are doing that he doesn't want you to experience, or he doesn't plan for you or desire for you to experience, even those things will be redeemed by the blood and by the word of God and by the grace of God. Your position, your service matters. Not only that, that we see our embodiment is is to serve God and others, we also see that our embodiment is for a particular place and a particular purpose. 
Jesus of Nazareth was subject to a certain time, particular, a particular time, a particular place, in a particular season of human history. We see this time and time again. And it reminds us that being united in Christ doesn't change our created identity, nor does it change our recreated identity. See, God's created, Jesus' created identity was as God's son. But Jesus coming in flesh, he was a Jewish man who was born in Bethlehem, who lived in Egypt as a youngster and was raised in the ghetto of Nazareth for nearly 30 years of his life. He was more likely a carpenter by trade because of his father, Joseph, his, 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 his earthly father, Joseph. He was the oldest son of a single mother named Mary. And as the oldest child, he was probably responsible for the care and provision of his younger siblings. He ministered faithfully for three years as a wandering nomad without having a home, meaning that he was homeless. See, Jesus coming into earth wasn't just him coming to earth. It was him coming and embodying and being in a particular place for a particular purpose with a particular identity that he always carried and he always embodied. And if Jesus can be a man from Nazareth who was, who was um, lived in Egypt as a youngster and was raised in the ghetto of Nazareth for 30 years of his life, then every single particular thing about you matters. There's nothing about you that does not matter before God. My white Christians... I know it may be hard for us to think about how we're going to go through the color of compromise and think about the historic atrocities that those before you have done within the church and specifically to black and brown people in the historical framework. It may be hard to come to that reality, but those realities don't make you less than human or less than Christian or mean that God doesn't love you less. It means that those things are reality and they happen within the body of Christ. And as the current body of Christ living now today, it is our responsibility to understand what has happened to the body and then work towards gospel reconciliation in ways that our forefathers maybe not didn't have the boldness or the courage to do. We as a people... Thank you, Brother Neil. Brother Neil just said, people, I want to quote you correctly. You just said people misinterpreted scripture to justify racism. Is that what you just said? Yes and amen. But here, but but, and I hear you on that. That is that is true. But what we need to ask ourselves now, Brother Neil, today is what is our responsibility? And what is our response? As a multi-ethnic church and as a multi-ethnic bride that God has called us to be, and we're going to see this in here, here in one second, that this is not just a dream. This is actually a reality. It behooves all of us. It behooves all of us to understand our created identity and to affirm our recreated identity and not to allow one to diminish the other. Both matter before God as our creator. If only our created identity mattered, if only us being made in the Mago Day mattered, then confession, repentance, and submission to Christ would not, it would not even matter at all. Why would we need to do that? Why would we need to confess? Why would we need to repent? What do we need to submit to 
if all that matters is that you are made in the image of God. And if being, being saved or being saved under the gospel is all that mattered, then why did Jesus leave us here on this earth and give us the mandate, the command to make disciples of all nations? We need a both and, not an either or reality in regards to our created identity and our recreated identity. Let me make it plain for us as a church. In regards to our trajectory of relationships, all of us has relationships. And this is the way that I would like our church to think about our relationships. The first tier of relationship is is, is what we see every day is strangers. Strangers all around. People driving up and down the street all around us. They're strangers. We don't know them. They don't know us. But strangers, the way that you can affirm a stranger is knowing that they are made in the image and likeness of God. That that head nod I talked about with Kevin, that is a, 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 a physical reminder that a person matters, that a person is seen, even when other people may not affirm them being seen or being known in that particular situation, even as a stranger. You have strangers and you have neighbors. Neighbors are those who come together, right? There's a, a, there is a partnership that happens there. There's a close association because you live within proximity. You may not know your neighbor, but they are still there regardless. The next tier is friendship. Friendships happen with commonality. All of you got, all of us hopefully have friends. And if you don't have a friend, I'll be your friend. We can, we can make friendship today. Everyone needs friendship. God has created us for friendship. It's commonalities. It's, uh, it's sharing of life. It is sharing of experiences. And then lastly, we have family. We have family that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. What I want you to do is I want you to think about, in regards to multi-ethnicity, I really want you to think about those tiers of the, the trajectory of relationships. Think about where, who is a stranger in your life and think about what does it mean to, to call them to be a neighbor, to, to affirm them as being a neighbor. Maybe it's inviting them over for dinner. Maybe it's um, acknowledging them on their birthday or having a, a meal outside. Maybe it's watching a game together. Think about your neighbors and then think about what does it mean for you to grow into friendship with them? What does it mean for us to share life together? How can we share, ha- have similar life experiences and share experience together? And then finally, from friendship, you want to be able to tell them about the God who saved you through it all, but you want them to turn to faith in him to finally become, to become family. Design, desire, and dream. Here, here's the last part, dream. Turn with me to Revelation 7. Revelation 7 is a very short verse. Revelation 7, verse 9. We hear these words from the apostle John. He says this, He says that after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe and tongue and people and language, which no one could number standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. So if God's design reminds us that our embodiment is from God, if God's desire reminds us that our embodiment is for the nations, God's dream reminds us that our embodiment matters throughout eternity. Notice three things quickly about John's vision. Three realities of our value of multi-ethnicity is one, it's God's vision. Multi-ethnicity is God's vision for his church. 
And I invite us all to pray into this reality. Pursue this reality and have your life resemble and reflect this reality. It's not going to happen just because we have it as a value. It's not going to happen just because we think it's a cool thing to do. It's going to happen as we as a church learn to create a culture and community that is not just appealing, but also affirming for our black and brown brothers and sisters within this local community to feel a part of this community. It's not going to happen because we just want it to happen. It's going to happen as we allow God's word to transform us and to grow us and to stretch us into the reality and his vision for the church, his church. Secondly, know this, it's, it's not a goal to be achieved. Although it will be done, we just read that in Revelation, it's going to be done, but it's a reality that has not yet been fully revealed. I think this is very important for us. We'll, <laughs> I don't have a number in mind thinking like, oh, our church will be multi-ethnic when we have 50% black and 50% white. I, I don't have a number and I don't want a number. What I want is I want to change lives that, that, that leads to an intimacy with God and a greater love for this community. As we grow in our love for the, the community and for the people within this community, multi-ethnicity is sure to follow. Why? Because this is a multi-ethnic community. Anyone that you share the gospel with, everyone who you talk to is going to reflect the nations that are in Revelation 7. The nations are here among us. We don't have to go to Israel or to Sudan or to Uganda. They are here in our community. And we have the great privilege and honor of reaching out to them as strangers, seeing them as neighbors because they are our neighbors, pursuing friendship with them that will ultimately, hopefully, by God's grace, lead to them being a part of the family of God. And guess what, y'all? They don't have to be a part of this church. I'm not just trying to do this to get my numbers up in our church. I would love if if that church across the street had more people and and reflected the beauty of this community more more than us, but we had outparted it because of our service and because of our, I will praise God for that. It's not about us. It's about God's kingdom. It's about his will being done. Lastly, I want you to see that our our particularities matter to God. And we see this in Revelation 7, unity, not uniformity. Notice the diversity. Every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language is represented. You have the beauty of diversity. But then you also have this aspect of unity. They are clothed in white robes. They have palm branches, and they're all crying out with a loud voice. And guess what? I don't know... (laughs) You might say, what were they speaking? English? No, they weren't speaking English. They were speaking their native tongue. And as they spoke their native tongue, the sovereign God and king could interpret and understand what every single person was saying, even though they were all shouting out at the same time. And that shows us and reminds us of the beauty of the gospel of Christ. That when we sing songs in Spanish or Japanese, even when we don't know what we're saying, God knows and God gets the glory. And for that, we should be thankful. Be thankful, church, for God's design, that our embodiment is from God, that he is the one who's given us 
and given us the Imago Dei to be made in his image. Be thankful that it's God's desire for the nations, for us to embody, our embodiment is for the nations. That we are to go out and to proclaim this truth to the nations across this world and even locally. And be thankful for God's dream that our embodiment matters throughout eternity. That God doesn't ask us to assimilate to any form. He doesn't ask us to (laughs) assimilate to what heaven looks like. Heaven will assimilate to what the nations look like, and to that we rejoice. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you and ask for your grace to be with us. We ask that you would help us in every way. We thank you, God, that our, our embodiment is from you, that you have made us in the likeness and image of God. Help us to affirm that even today as we go out in our neighborhoods. Help us to affirm those who are so easily displaced and so easily looked over in our, in our society. God, help us to know that your desire is for the nations, that you desire for the nations to be, to be gathered, and the nations will be gathered because of your great love for the nations. Thank you, God. Share your love for the nations with us as a church, I pray. And finally, God, we thank you for your dream. We thank you that our embodiment matters throughout eternity, that God, you won't change heaven for us, but, but God, heaven will actually reflect the beauty and the diversity of the nations because the nations reflect your beauty and diversity, God. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.